And so if you have a copy of the Scriptures, turn into Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25, and if you're able to stand as we read God's Word tonight. Exodus chapter 25. And uh, we're going to look in verse 23. Exodus chapter 5 and verse 23. Exodus chapter 25 and verse 23. Moses writes this. He says, Thou shalt also make a table of shittim wood. Two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and make thereto a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt make unto it a border of an handbreadth round about, and thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof round about. And thou shalt make for it four rings of gold, and put the rings in the four corners that are on the four feet thereof. Over against the border shall be the rings, shall the rings be for places of the staves to bear the table, and thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood, the Bible says there, and overlay them with gold, that the table may be borne with them. And thou shalt make the dishes thereof, and spoons thereof, and covers thereof, and bowls thereof to cover withal. Of pure gold shalt thou make them, and thou shalt set them, excuse me, set upon the table, showbread before me always. Now turn over with me to chapter 37, if you will, chapter 37 and verse 10. Chapter 37 and verse 10 is another rendering of the, of the table of showbread. Many times there in the book of Exodus, Moses would write about it and then come back and add different information at a later time. Exodus chapter 37 and verse 10, And he made the table of shittim wood, two cubits was the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And he overlaid it with pure gold and made thereunto a crown of gold round about. Also he made thereunto a border of a handbreadth round about and made a crown of gold for the border thereof round about. And he cast for it four rings of gold, and put the rings upon the four corners that were in the four feet thereof. Over against the border were the rings, the places for the staves to bear the table. And he made the staves of shittim wood, and overlaid them with gold to bear the table. And he made the vessels which were upon the table, his dishes, and his spoons, and his bowls, and his covers, to cover withal of pure gold. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence again tonight, and Lord, it was mentioned earlier, we need your presence. We, we need your hand upon us. Father, it will be all in vain if we come tonight and, and do not hear from you, or you do not convict us and show us areas of our life that need to be changed. Father, help us not just to go through the motions tonight and, and sing when we're supposed to sing and give when we're supposed to give and sit and listen and then leave, Lord. Help us not to just go through the motions because we've done it so many times before. But Father, I just pray that you would just speak to our hearts and challenge us and convict us. Lord, certainly we're going to look at different dimensions and sizes and things of the showbread, and we're going to gain knowledge and information. But as I mentioned just a few moments ago, Father, it's more than just information. It's more than just learning what the Word of God has to say. Father, we need to apply principles to our life and to our heart and all that we say and all that we do for for Christian living so that we can be a blessing to others around about and so that we can have hope and joy and peace in our lives, Lord, as we live in this crazy world. And so for a few moments tonight, Lord, just help us to once again uh, put aside those things that are vying for our attention. Help us just to, to lay aside those worries and those troubles and the things that we're thinking about this week or this weekend. Lord, just help us to focus upon what you would have to say to us, to our hearts, and challenge us tonight. Maybe, Father, there's, there's one here tonight that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, Father, this, this passage, as you well know, does not necessarily lend itself to salvation. But Lord, you, you have the ability to convict, and you have the ability to challenge our hearts. And so if there's someone tonight that needs to be saved, I pray that tonight would be that night. And so the rest of us, Lord, help us to learn, and we'll give you the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated tonight. There's a saying that someone said a long time ago, or coined some time ago, I don't know exactly how long it was, but repetition is the key to retention. Repetition is the key to retention. You know, you, you repeat something over and over and over again, and you'll be able to retain that for the most part. And that kind of goes along with this saying that practice makes perfect. You know, if you don't practice, you're not going to get any better. You know, and we're going we're to learn those uh, uh, habits if you practice those things. And there are many things in our life that we become good at 
There are many things in our life that we become skilled at simply because of the, the process of repetition. Because we've done it so many times, right? I mean, I've done this so many times, I'm, I'm, I'm actually pretty handy at it. I remember in Bible college, I, I landed a job at uh, Ozark Diesel there in Springfield, Missouri. It was back before Heartland was in existence, and, and I, was, uh, I, I was working at uh, Budget Rent-A-Car, and a, a position opened up at Ozark Diesel, and they were paying a whole lot of money compared to the rental car place, and so I went and applied because most of the college students were working in the head department, rebuilding Detroit diesel heads, and I said, well, I'll give that a go. You know, I, I like working on cars and stuff like that, and, and so I applied, and I got the job, but I told him, I said, I have no idea how to rebuild a Detroit diesel head. I mean, does anyone in here know how to rebuild a Detroit diesel head? Maybe. And so I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. They said, that's okay, we'll train you. And I said, praise the Lord. There was also other college students that were working there. And, and, and so they trained us. And after so many months, actually the process kind of became old hat. I mean, I learned exactly. I mean, there was a step. There was a step process that you got, that you went through. You got the, the block, or excuse me, the head from the teardown department. You had to bake it in, in the oven. And, and then you tore, you know, you finished tearing it down, polish it up. And then you start assembling it, putting it all together. And then you finish it, you had to put your initials on it and take it over to the build department where they were going to strap it on a block and then fire it on the dyno with your initials on it. And so, I mean, after a while, you know, there was a process and you did it over and over and over again, you, you begin to learn how to do that. And so this is what we do here. And, and now you're going to do this. And, and then we do this and then that. And then six to eight hours later, you're done and, and you start the process all over again. And so it was, a, it was a great job. It's really the same way with any job, I suppose, that requires repetition. You know, especially if you're on an assembly line. I mean, you probably, you know, if you're on an assembly line or this is what you do every single day, you probably do it in your sleep, don't you? You wake up in the middle of the night, like, oh, you know, the process is going through. But soon, soon, you can become so skilled that you don't even really think about what you're doing. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you don't, it doesn't give it. It doesn't require much thought, although it might even be a technical process or an in-depth process. We do it so many times that it's no big deal. People look at us saying, how in the world do you do that? Oh, it's no big deal. I've been doing this for years. Everyone follow me what I'm saying there? We, 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 we do that, and we do it so often uh, that we begin to develop what is called a skill set. We have a skill set, which is really just a knowledge or an ability or an experience necessary to perform a job. I did not have the skill set. I mean, I had worked on cars, and I'd rebuilt motors for, my, uh, for Camaro. I grew up driving Camaros, and my dad was a hot rodder and, and things of that nature. And so I'd been, I had grown up with that, but I'd never built a Detroit diesel head or rebuilt one. And, uh, but I developed a skill set for that, and I even had all the tools that were necessary for that. And I'm just telling you what, it, it kind of became old hat. And I learned how to do that, developed a skill set, and actually kind of the Lord blessed and, and came, became pretty good at that. And so some people are quite good at their skill set, and you can even do, as I mentioned, the thing that you do even in your sleep. Well, thus far in, in, the, book, uh, in, in the book of Exodus, we've looked at the, at the gate. Remember we talked about the gate, that there's only one way to get in. You can, you, only, you can only go through Jesus Christ. If you want to go into the tabernacle or into the courtyard, you have to go through the proper gate, which points to Jesus Christ. And then remember, we talked about the brazen altar. The first thing that you're going to walk in after you enter this gate is this brazen altar, and this speaks of our need of atonement, of being reconciled unto a holy God. And then after the brazen altar, we looked at the brass laver, which speaks of our need for cleansing. We have to be cleansed daily before the Lord, and it speaks of us confessing our sins and making certain that our walk is right with the Lord. And so before we go into the tabernacle, which we went into last night, before we go into this, this small tent, if you will, there has to be atonement and there has to be cleansing, and then we're able to start ministering about the holy things. And let me just say, I want to say it one more time. I think I mentioned it last night. Whenever we're doing work for the Lord, it's about holy things. It's, it's up here. It's top notch. It's top level. You know, there's really no such thing as sacred and holy. It's all holy before the Lord. I don't, I'm not going to walk out of here and punch out for my service to the Lord and then go do whatever I want until tomorrow night at 7, that's not how it works out. When I go on vacation, I don't clock out my Christianity and then clock back in when I get back on vacation and, and things of that nature. Everything that we do is, is holy unto the Lord. And so wherever I do, wherever I go, and, and, and as I minister about the holy things, as you minister about the holy things in St. Joe, as you witness, as you serve, I'm just telling you what, there has to be the proper door, there has to be reconciliation, there has to be cleansing, and then we come in here and we saw the candlestick, which shows us that we need the light of Jesus Christ to do anything that we're going to do. 
And He expects us to be light. He expects us to serve. He expects us to be busy in the work of the Lord. Amen? That's what we're talking about. That's what we looked at. If, you don't have, if you're a member of, uh, of Riverside Baptist Church and you don't have a ministry or something that you're actively involved with, I'm just telling you what, you, you need to get involved tonight. You need to ask the Lord and beg the Lord and then ask your pastor and say, where can I get involved? What can I do? What can I sign up for? What needs to be done? And, and, and then don't be complaining when it's not something that we think we really ought to be able to do because of my skill set. I just want to be busy for the Lord no matter what it is. You know, as a pastor, I've swept more floors and cleaned up more toilets and things. Well, not necessarily toilets. I asked Dina to do that. But I'm just saying, you know, I've done more things that I didn't really want to do. I can't clean throw up up either. Anyone besides me, you see that? Let's move on. So, I mean, uh, just, because, just because we've been saved for a long time, listen, whatever we do for the Lord is a blessing. It's a wonderful thing. So the Lord wants us to be busy as we, as we serve about the holy things, and we have to be illuminated with the Word of God to know how to do that. And He expects us to do that, and we're supposed to be busy and, and gain that knowledge and, and just be faithful unto the Lord. But what we're going to see tonight in the table of showbread is something that we need to be careful about, as I, we're going to get here in just a little bit. There's a, there's a danger as we go about ministering unto the Lord that I want to look at here in just a moment. And so, turn, actually, flip on that first, I forgot about this, I, I, got, I threw an extra one in there, didn't cost any extra, and, uh, and it's kind of blurry, you can't see it very well, but you can see the, on the right there's that eastern gate, and you see the, uh, the brazen altar, and then the laver, and then you walk in, and, a, and the candlestick is on the left, the table of showbread, what we're talking about, is here on the right, and then you go a little bit further, and there's the altar of incense that we're going to look at tomorrow night, and then behind that veil is the Ark of the Covenant. Man, that's making me sick, looking at that thing. And so that's, uh, that's, kind of, that's what it looks like. That was, that's uh, the, the tabernacle, and then, of course, the bigger thing is the courtyard. And so the furnishing that we're going to look at as we continue inside this tabernacle uh, is the table of showbread. And so go ahead and flip over that next slide. And this is the table of showbread, you know, something similar to this, uh, of what it might have looked like. As with the other furnishings, let's look at the structure of the table there. Go back to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25, and we're going to look at this structure tonight. Exodus chapter 25 and verse 23. And uh, we, we read over this, and so I'm, I'm not going to read this again, but it's found in verses 23 through 30. And so the design for the table of showbread was very exact and very precise, and the table was made of acacia wood, which is shittim wood that the Bible talks about there in the book of Exodus. It's a hard, durable wood. We've already mentioned this, resistant to insects and disease and weather. And the table, as we look at these directions uh, in verse 23, 24, and 25, the table was actually quite small. You know, in my mind, I always think this big table of showbread and how large it is. And man, I have these 12 loaves that are on there. But actually, it's actually only about three foot long and one and a half feet wide, and only about two and a quarter feet tall. And so it wasn't, it wasn't a very tall table at all. And it was to be overlaid with pure gold and have a gold molding running around it. It was to have a rim three inches wide around the top with a golden molding around it. It was to have four gold rings attached to the four, uh, or attached to the four corners where the legs were to support the, uh, the, the uh, poles for carrying the table. The poles to carry the table were also to be made of acacia or shittim wood and, and to be overlaid with gold. And the table's plates and the dishes that we see there in verse 29 were to be made of gold as well as the pitchers and bowls that were to be used in pouring out drink offerings. So look at verse 30. Verse 30 tells us that the entire purpose for the table was to hold the showbread. In verse 30, it says in chapter 25, And thou shalt set upon the table showbread before me always. This is what you're supposed to do. He tells the children of Israel, you're going to make this table something similar to this, and on this table you're going to place the showbread. Now, the interesting part about this furnishing or this table is found in the actual word showbread. As, we, as you do a little bit of a study on the word showbread, uh, the showbread, the word showbread literally means two different things. The word showbread means the bread of the face. And now this is interesting, the bread of the face, referring to the face of God. It also means the bread of the presence, referring to the presence of God. Now this is pretty cool, I'm just saying. It's pretty cool when you start thinking about this and what he's asking them to do. So showbread means the bread of the face and the bread of the presence. 
So get this, follow this. The bread was to sit, as it were, right before the presence and the face of God, which was behind the inner curtain. I don't know if you can go back to that last slide. Is that possible to go back to that last slide? Uh, but the, as you walk into the tabernacle, and, and the table of showbread was on the right, and again, they just stuck it there, you know, and, and it might have been more toward the veil or may not have been, but it was to be before the face or the presence of God because the presence of God was on the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat behind the veil. Everyone with me on that? And so they're just, okay, thank you. Go ahead and go back to the table now. And so this bread was to sit, as it were, right before the presence and the face of God, which was behind the inner curtain. So let's, again, let's look at the makeup of the actual bread for just a moment. Turn with me to, to the book of Leviticus chapter 24. Leviticus chapter 24, and I, I want to look at the bread very quickly. The makeup of the bread. Leviticus chapter 24 and verse 5. Leviticus 24 and verse 5, Moses writes this, Thou shalt, and the Lord is telling him, Thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof. Two-tenth deals shall be in one cake. And so we know that the table, the showbread is there's going to be twelve loaves and uh, twelve cakes. And thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon the pure table before the Lord. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial. So it's going to be a memorial. It's going to be an offering. Even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Every Sabbath, every Saturday, he shall set it in order between, before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be Aaron's and his sons, and they shall eat it in the holy place. So when they're going to eat this bread, they have to eat it in the holy place. They can't take it outside. This is where they're going to eat it. They're going to eat it in the holy place. Why? For it is most holy unto him of the offerings of the Lord made by fire by a perpetual statute. And so that's what's going on here. And so from this we understand, and this is an important part for the message tonight, from this we understand that 12 loaves were to be made, one for each tribe of Israel. So there's 12 loaves that are put on here, six and six, and they're made for a memorial for an offering symbolizing the 12 tribes of Israel. And so the loaves were to be made of choice flour, and each loaf was three quarts each. That seems like a lot. I'm not a baker, and I don't even pretend to be one, but doesn't that seem like a lot of flour for a loaf? Three quarts? Is that common? I maybe should have checked into that. But the, the loaves were to be arranged in two rows of six each, and frankincense was to be sprinkled over each row and burned in place of the bread as an offering. So the bread was to be changed every Sabbath day, and the bread was to be eaten by the priest, but only in the holy place, for the bread was an offering made unto the Lord. So everyone got that? I mean, there's just a lot going on with this table of showbread, and how the table was to be made, and the showbread, and what it is, and what it means, and how they're supposed to make it, and what they're supposed to do with it. So let's make sure, let's just make sure before we go any farther that we understand what's going on here, because this is imperative for the rest of the message. From, from this and other passages, we understand that the 12 loaves represented an offering, folks, that represented an offering uh, from each tribe of Israel. One loaf for each tribe, and it was an offering of thanksgiving unto the Lord. Lord, we're giving you thanks. And, and it's a memorial and it's an offering. We're giving you thanks for how you have taken care of us. And, and so each tribe was represented as thanking God for the bread and the food that he provided for meeting their physical needs. I mean, it just all goes into this, and they're thanking the Lord. There's great symbolism here in that the 12 loaves represented the people's dependence upon God. And they're following through what he's asking them to do. It's a memorial, it's an offering, and they're thanking him, and they're, and they're relying upon him. Remember, these, these 12 loaves sat in God's presence. They're, they're setting before his face. It's before the face of God and in the presence of God. Everyone with me on that? It's, it's important here. So the people were acknowledging their dependence upon him that they needed his provision. As, as we live our lives out here in this world, Lord, we need your provision, we need your protection, your guidance. We need you, therefore, each one of our tribes, all 12 of us, are offering this as a memorial unto you every single week forever. That's what we're, that's what we're going to do. So they acknowledged their dependence upon him that they needed him. By faithfully placing that showbread on the table before his face, they, in essence, were showing that they needed his watchful eye upon the bread, upon them as his followers. <coughs> Excuse me. 
The offering, listen, the offering was basically saying, watch the bread. Would you watch the bread? And, and which pictures are Thanksgiving. So we're actually asking you to watch us as, one, as each loaf is represented by one of the tribes. Lord, we're bringing this before your face. We're bringing this before your presence because we're asking you, which your presence is just on the other side of this veil, to watch us and to provide for us. We're thanking you and we're also asking you to keep your eye, your presence upon us, each of the 12 tribes. Everyone with me on this? I mean, it's, it's important stuff. And, and, and so that's what basically they're doing here. Uh, with, uh, as long as, listen, as long as Israel continued to offer this bread, then God's face would continue to be upon them. His presence would continue to be there. As long as they continued to do this, then His presence was there. But when they became polluted by the world, have you ever read the book of Judges? Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. When they started doing things, he read through the kings and the prophets. Whenever they started doing things and, 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 and polluted by the world and the sacrifices and the ministering of the tabernacle failed or was sporadic or it was, the showbread was not there when it needed to be, then understandably, folks, if, they're not, if the 12 tribes are not being placed, the loaves on this table of showbread before his face, if they're not doing that because of disobedience and worldliness, then God's face, understandably, is not going to be upon them, is it? Well, of course not. His presence and His face and His watchful care, symbolically, is not going to be there for them. And so when they failed, when they failed to show their need for dependence and trust, they were, basically, when they wouldn't do that, and when they became disobedient and they failed to place that in there, and they're failing to show their dependence upon Him and their trust upon Him, basically, in essence, what they're saying is, Lord, we've got this. We've got this. We can do this on our own. We don't need Your watchful eye upon us as we minister about in the holy things and we live our life. Everyone with me here tonight? Everyone? I don't want to have to start all over. It's a, it's a, it's a lot. So, everyone with me? As long as they put it there, then God's face symbolically was upon them, and if, when they became disobedient, did not put it on there, then God's like, hey well, then I'm not going to have my watchful hand upon you. I, my presence isn't going to be with you. So the entire purpose for the table was to hold the showbread, to present the showbread before the face of God, to present it as an offering of thanksgiving and dependence upon God. God, we love you. Every week, we're going to have a new loaf for our tribe. You know, you can go down each, you know, you can... You know, this is from the tribe of Judah. This is from the tribe of Benjamin. You know, this is from the tribe of Asher. This is from the tribe of Dan. And they could go forth. And, and as they presented those loaves, and it was before the face of God, they were like, man, we're, this is for a memorial. This is for an offering because we love you and we need your hand upon us in everything that we do. It was a big deal. God didn't just put this in here to fill up pages on a, on a blank piece of paper. I mean, it, there's so much symbolism here. Uh, and it's so important that they had God's presence upon them. Now, I think we can certainly draw some application from this, don't you? As I mentioned earlier, the Word of God, you know, isn't just for our education, it's just for learning and walk out and saying, man, I'm a lot smarter than I used to be. But I think God wants to tell us something here as we look at this passage of Scripture. One thing this showbread does, of course, is it points to Jesus Christ, which is the bread of life. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. The Bible is full of verses that declare that Jesus is the living bread that came down from heaven to accomplish many things. For one, it satisfies the hunger of a person's soul. You know what? There's people out there and there's people in St. Joe who are hungering and thirsting for truth and they don't know where to find it. They, they're looking. They're looking for answers and they're going to all these churches out there to make me feel good and the music and, and all that. And I'm just telling you what, when you, don't have doctrine, you don't, when you don't have preaching of the doctrine of God's Word, those churches are not going to help those people. It's going to make them feel good and make them feel all warm and fuzzy. But they're, and they're searching and they're not going to find the truth. They're going to, they're going to feel good because they've, they've, they've gone to church and they've punched their ticket and they go home, but their marriages are still in trouble, their kids are still in trouble, and everything else is still in trouble because they, because they have not met the Savior, Jesus Christ, if the gospel has not been presented. and the doct You know how you keep a church pure? Doctrine. Doctrine, the pure teaching of God's Word. And, and so Jesus Christ gives us, He's, he's represented as that. He satisfies uh, the hunger of a person's soul. We, he has built us for fellowship, and He says, I'll meet that need through My Son, Jesus Christ. John 6.33, For the bread of God is he, with, uh, he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. 
John 6.35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. John 6.48, Jesus said, I am that bread of life. But the Lord also provided for us as we entered into the tabernacle, so to speak, to minister about holy things. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. So only the priests were allowed to eat the showbread. They were able to eat the bread as part of their sustenance in order to serve. So let's keep that in mind too. So these, so the showbread was placed there in dependence upon God and needing His hand upon them. But then the priests were able to eat that. And it was part of their sustenance. It was part of their daily living so that they could serve. You see, the showbread pointed to God Himself as the nourishment that, that men and women really need. That's what this does. It shows us the nourishment that we really need both for our spiritual walk and the need to serve. I, I need to be with Jesus Christ. I need to meet with Him on a regular basis to give me nourishment for my soul, for help for my family, and, and so I can make proper decisions in life, and so I'll know how to live upon this earth, but it also gives me the ability to serve other people as we minister about the holy things. But as I mentioned a few moments ago, I see a danger that we as Christians can fall into if we're not careful as we strive to serve the Lord. Because sometimes we serve so often, and sometimes we serve so repetitiously, that if not careful, we slowly begin to be dependent upon our abilities, rather than on trusting in the bread of life, Jesus Christ, for both sustenance and power in serving. Sometimes we've done things so many times, and we're so repetitious that, man alive, we, we, we come across and, and we think to ourselves, man, I've done this and I know what I'm doing. Well, let me show you what I mean. Turn with me over to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and, and look in verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. Paul writes here to the church at Corinth. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are diversities of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. Listen to this. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. God gives the Spirit of God to every man. He gives a gift to every man and woman to profit with all. It says, for to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy. Now we realize that some of these gifts that he gave them, they fell away after the complete copy of the Scriptures was given. Some of these sign gifts, like the working of miracles and the prophecy and the wisdom about that prophecy, fell away and they were done away with once we got the revealed Word of God. There's no more need for new revelation today, folks. We don't need it anymore. We have enough revelation. God has given us all that we need to serve today. If someone comes in and says, I've got a word from the Lord, it better line up with this book right here or they're a liar. That's just no two ways about that. And so God gave gifts, and a lot of these sign gifts that were done away with, but there's still a lot of gifts that God has given, not a lot of gifts, God has given every man and every woman who trusts Him as their personal Savior a gift to serve in the local church. It goes on to say, uh, somewhere, I don't remember where I left off. Is that okay? Oh yeah, 10. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to, spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues. That's another gift that's, that fell away. To another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and, self same, and the selfsame Spirit dividing to every man, every man severally as he will. So from this passage, we understand again that, that when a person trusts Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, something miraculous takes place. We're, to, we're a partaker of the divine nature. We're a joint heir to the throne of God with Jesus Christ, meaning, meaning I'm going to rule with Jesus Christ during the millennial kingdom. I'm so excited about that. I'm just telling you what, it's going to be an amazing thing. I am a joint heir to the throne of God with Jesus Christ. You've got to let that sink in for just a little bit. Meaning he can't establish his throne unless I'm there. And I've been made a partaker of the divine nature. I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. So many things that have taken place. I've been adopted into the family of God. So forth and so on. 
But what he is showing us here is that when a person gets saved, they've also been giving something else that's super wonderful, and that is the gift of the Spirit, the ability to serve in the local church. We've been given this gift uh, from the Spirit of God. And, and, and so the gifts that God gives us are specifically to be used, listen folks, for the edification of the saints in the local church. I'm just telling you what, the gifts are to be utilized. I'm not to take the gifts that God has given me and go and be a freelance Christian out there without the benefit of the local church, which is the body of Christ, which he loves. I'm to utilize the gift that God has given me in the context and the vehicle of the local church because that's the vehicle he's using today to propagate the gospel. It's the local church. Well, I have my spiritual gift. I'm just using it over, you know, on my, on my free nights off on this or that. No, it needs to be utilized in the local church, which is his body for the edification of the saints. That's what it's to be used for. That's why we're to be busy in a local church and have a ministry in a local church and be out and involved and do something, get involved with the ministry of the local church, which is the body of Jesus Christ. I mean, he's very specific. But I want you to now turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Well, this will help us understand and, and, and clarify, just in case you didn't believe me. Ephesians chapter 4, <laughs> chapter, chapter 4 and verse 7. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7, but unto every one of us, is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Look down in verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. It says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets, excuse me, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And so he's telling us not only, not only do we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit of God, which we're to be utilizing for the edification of the saints, but God has also given us some, and then we know the apostles that died away with, with those apostles and the prophets, there's prophet preachers and things of that nature, but, and some pastors and teachers. Why did God give gifts and men like this to, to, to the local church? Well, verse 12 gives us the answer there. It says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And I don't need to go again. I don't, need to, I don't have time to go back and prove that the church is the body of Christ, but he's given the gifts that he has given you and he has given me for the edification of the body of Christ, to minister about the holy things as we serve Him through the local church. Everyone with me on that? I mean, we need to understand this. So, God has given every believer a gift to be used. And it's true, everyone, I'm telling you what, everyone, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you've been given a spiritual gift. But herein lies the problem. And here, here, here comes the problem that, uh, that I get concerned about from time to time because I know me and I know things that happen in my life, and if it happens in my life, I'm certain it can happen in your life as well. Herein lies the problem. We often can get so good at using our spiritual gift that if not careful, we don't really need to rely on the presence and the power of the Lord anymore. I'm just saying it happens. It's happened in my life, and if it happens in my life, I know it can happen in your life. <clears throat> now, now, I don't think any serious Christian sets out to think, you know, I don't think anyone here at Riverside Baptist Church or First Baptist Bible Church in Glendale, Arizona, I've never set out and said, you know what, I'm going to do this on my own. I don't need the Lord anymore. You know, I'm good. I, I can handle this on my own. I don't think any serious Christian or any common sense Christian would say something like that. But sometimes, listen folks, let's just be honest. Sometimes we get busy and we get used to doing what we're doing. We, it's commonplace. And we, think, and we think, I've got this, man. I've done this hundreds of times before. And so, I, I, oh, this is old hat, I got this taken care of. And we fail to properly spend time with the Lord, the bread of life, for our daily sustenance and for our power. I mean, it's so subtle that it comes in. And, and, and it's, you know, you know it, it's, again, so subtle and, and it just kind of creeps in. It's kind of like our Bible reading. You know, we don't sit out to say, well, I'm not going to read my Bible anymore. But, you know, we get busy today and we, got busy, we get busy tomorrow and we get busy... You know, on Friday, and next thing you know, it's been three days and we haven't even cracked open our Bible. And we haven't read and we haven't prayed to prayer times. That's a whole other issue, a whole other story. And sometimes before we know it, we start serving and ministering about the holy things. And before you know it, we're doing it in our own power because we haven't spent adequate time with the Lord. I don't know if it's happened to you, but it's happened to me. It certainly has. Listen, I'm not trying to be cynical, or I'm not trying to be negative, or I'm not even trying to be accusatory here tonight, but there are many Christians in churches all throughout the world today that have honed their spiritual gifts down so well. I mean, they've honed these gifts down so well that they don't even really rely upon the presence and the power of God like they should or like they could. You know, the truth be told, and 
I hate to draw the pastor in on things like this, but Brother Marshall and I, we've been preaching for a long time. I don't know the total number of years that we've been preaching. I know he's been probably been, been, he's been preaching longer than I have. And I've been preaching for about 25 years or so. And we, or I could say, I could probably stand up here behind the pulpit, or I could stand in the pulpit of First Baptist Bible Church and preach an old message that they haven't heard before without really one minute of prayer or reliance upon God. And you know what, folks? I could probably do a fairly decent job. You're like, man, you're pretty braggadocious. No, I've just, I've, I'm, I'm, I've been honing this gift of preaching. You might not realize it, but I've been honing this gift. <laughs> Miss Pam, be quiet, please. Don't say anything. And so, I've been, you know, I've been working on the gift of preaching, you know, and, and, and the gift of, of the God, the gifts that God has given me. And, and I've been, I've been working on this for quite some time. And, and sometimes we just can get pretty good at it. You follow me on this? We can get pretty good at it, and we can go through the motions and all these things without spending the adequate time with the Lord that we need. And, and so we could utilize the gift of preaching or the gift of serving that God has blessed us with. And most likely, if I went home and got, stood up and I preached and I maybe got a little bit active or raised my voice and all this stuff, you know, and, and, and really there's been not many, any prayer behind it, there's not been much study behind it, and not many people at First Baptist Bible Church would probably realize it. They might even say, hey, that's a great message, preacher. Praise the Lord for that, man. Whew, that's exactly what we needed. You know, they wouldn't know it, but here's the thing. God would know it. God would know it. And your ministry would suffer because of it. It certainly would. There's many Christians today who are serving in the, amongst the holy things. There's Christians today who are serving, faithfully serving, in the holy, most holy things. They're teaching Sunday school classes. They're singing in the choir and they're ministering and they're serving, they're working nursery, they're doing all these types of things. But I'm just saying we must make certain that we don't miss the power that God wants to give us through His presence. We don't, we don't want to forfeit that because, man, it's in my back pocket. I've got this taken care of. I've done it so many times before. Over the years, especially in Bible college and on staff at Temple Baptist Church as a young, as a young assistant pastor man, back in the day, I would be asked to teach a Sunday school class or something like that, and, and I hate to admit it, but some, sometimes I would find out, oh, it's just the juniors. Oh, it's just the, it's just the middle schoolers, you know, or it's just those, oh, man, I can wing that one. I, I can wing that. That's no big deal. Oh, but it's the adult class. I might need to study up and pray on that one, you know, because they're, they're adults, and they might, they could, but, but the juniors, the toddlers, the nursery work or whatever thing, oh, I've got that. That's hold hat. Everyone follow me what I'm saying here? Sure. And we walk, and we walk right into that Sunday school class without once begging for the presence or the face of God to be upon us. Without, it, without spending time in His presence or in His face and saying, Lord, there's a bunch of two-year-olds in there, and I need something for them. I know their attention span is about two minutes. I understand that. But, but it's work for the Lord. And if we're going to do work for the Lord then we certainly need to have God involved with it, don't we? I think we do. Well, it's just singing in the choir. There's 48 other people up there. You know what? I don't need to spend time in prayer for that. Really? We're, we're singing. When you sing, you're singing unto the Lord is what you're doing. Preaching, we're preaching to a crowd, but we sing unto Him. And if I'm going to sing unto Him, I think I probably need to ask Him and beg for Him for His help that He would be well pleased with my offering unto Him. I'm just saying, well, I just count money, or I just work in the sound booth, or I just vacuum, or I just do this and work. Listen, I'm just saying, there's nothing sacred in our ministry or our work for the Lord. It's all holy. And, and you know, I'm not saying, you know, every time, we, every time we walk or do this or do that or grab a vacuum, we need to, you know, pray, Lord, help me as I vacuum. I'm not, you know, we're not going to be corny or weird here. But I'm just saying, daily, we should already be spending time here at the laver, confessing our sins. And we say, you know, my prayer time isn't just solely spent on confessing my sins before God. I have quite a little bit of a prayer list there, and I'm asking Him for power in everything that I do. With, you with me on that? With the preaching and the teaching and the ministering and the counseling and the budget and things of that nature. I'm just telling you, I just think that we need to make certain that we don't omit God when we do God's work. That we don't omit that. 
See, if we're not careful, here's the thing, if we're not careful, we'll rely upon the gift rather than the Spirit-filled presence of God from a life that is continually placed in His presence. I want my life as an offering and as a memorial unto Him. I want my life to be placed in His presence daily, hourly, every minute. I want my life there. And I need His good hand upon me. I need His face to shine upon me. And the only way that I'm going to have that happen is if I come before Him every single day. Every single day. You know, a pastor friend... A pastor friend of mine was telling me about his, his pastor. He was a young man. He was an assistant. About his pastor who was preaching a week-long tent revival in a town in their state. And so his pastor was preaching this tent revival, and he went along with him, stayed in different rooms. And my pastor friend went with him, and it was a great meeting. I'm just telling you what, souls were saved and lives were changed. Many people were saved during this. I think it was a week-long revival. Come to find out, that in the evenings, that pastor, the senior pastor, was, had been, was being unfaithful to his wife that whole week of the revival services. Crazy. Crazy. Would you agree with me on that? That's just, that's just crazy stuff. But you know what? Unfortunately, crazy stuff happens in this world. It's crazy. This young pastor and the men of the church approached that seasoned pastor about it, and they approached him. They are like, whoa, what's going on here? And they approached him about it, and his response, totally defiant. Totally defiant. No remorse and no conviction. You know what he actually said? He actually said, but souls were saved down there. God did a great work in that town. Souls were saved. That was his excuse. That sorry, this sorry excuse for this sorry pastor, he was justifying the results of his ministry. He was, what he was doing is he was relying, he was relying on his gifts rather than the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. And this pastor friend of mine, this young pastor man, he was like, you know, I mean, you know what, and I'm telling you what he said, the Lord just gave it to him, gave him a response to that. And my pastor friend told him, he said, God's not going to punish those poor people because of your wickedness. He's not going to punish those poor people because of your wickedness. But I'm telling you what, friend, your ministry is over. Your ministry is over as it, as it pertains to ministering about holy things. And I'm just saying, sometimes you can serve. Sometimes you can get in that Sunday school class. Sometimes you can go out on visitation. And sometimes you, you can sing in the choir and be involved in these different, without having the benefit of a, of a good prayer life or, 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 or a good time of Bible reading or, or setting your face before the presence of God. And, and you can be fooled by seeing some wonderful results take place. But I'm telling you what, God's not fooled. And he knows what's going on with your ministry and your life. And it'll ultimately, I'm just saying, it'll ultimately show up one day in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when we stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ. You see, we might think we have everyone else failed, uh, fooled. We might have the pastor fooled and everyone else fooled about our lack of walk, proper walk with the Lord as we minister, but God's not fooled. And we're not going to be judged for our sins. Praise God for that. I'm just saying, oh man, thank the Lord for that. I've been cleansed for my sins. I've spent time at that altar over there, and I've been cleansed for my sins. But my sins are going to hinder me from receiving the rewards that I could receive from Him when, I, when that fire comes down. You know, I don't, I, don't want to hear, I don't want to hear the Lord say, well done, Pastor Nail. You pastored a great church, and there was... There was all, this, all these benefits or all these blessings and souls were saved and lives were changed. Or you taught this Sunday school class or you faithfully served the three-year-old class for 30 years. Praise the Lord, you did or wonderful. You did all those things, but you harbored sin in your life and your walk with me wasn't where it needed to, where it needed to be. So therefore, I cannot bless you as I would like. There's where the rubber is going to meet the road, my friend. So now, looking at this pastor, certainly... You know, not to that extent, praise the Lord, certainly not to that extent, but I wonder how many Christians today are relying on the fact that I've got this, I've got this, man, I've done this, I've done this before, I can handle this, you know, it's just, a, it's just that special, or it's just junior church, you know, it's, it's only visiting a first-time member, I mean, a first-time visitor, you know, we go visit first-time visitors, it's on Saturday, I've got this, I've done this millions of times before, and, and, and unfortunately, we end up doing ministry without any thought of help from a holy God. So we can either, here's the thing, we can either play church because, you know, we come in and we sit down and we sing and we go. We come in, we sit down, we sing, we go, we preach, 
And we, we can either play church or we can see the face and power of God upon our lives. You know what I choose? I, want, I choose the, the face and the power of God upon my life. That's what I want because I'm telling you what, friends, I've had it both ways. I've had it both ways where the power of God was upon your life and, and, and then sometimes you climb in the pulpit and you're thinking, man, and, and I know sometimes, sometimes things get busy, there's funerals, there's things, and, and sometimes you go and you, get, you climb the pulpit and you're like, oh, Lord, you know what my week's been. I need your help. I need your grace. That's different than being lazy and unprepared in the ministry that you're serving in. Totally different. Because God wants us to, to bring our lives before His presence and before His face so that He can have His good hand upon us. The showbread was a great reminder for Israel. Man, live every week. It was a great reminder for Israel. We need our presence. Was What they're saying is they're saying, Lord, we need our presence before Your face. Lord, we need that. It's an offering. It's a memorial. <clears throat> I need it before your face. We need your direction, Lord. We need your help in everything that we do. And we need your power. God, we need you because we can't do this without you. And again, there's nothing, there's nothing that can replace man's need for God. It is God and God alone who truly nourishes and satisfies the soul of a hungry man and a hungry woman today. It allows us to be a blessing to others. So it begs the question tonight, We've been through the proper door. We've confessed our sins. I'm just telling you what, I know I'm saved. We're at the, the tabernacle. You know, we've been to the laver and, and, and spent time there, and we're busy. We're in the tabernacle. We've stepped into the tabernacle, and we're busy. We're super busy in ministry. Man, we're just, we're busy here, and we're busy there, and we're, we're just so. But are we relying upon our own power, our own strength, and our own gifts, or are we continually presenting our face before Him? acknowledging our need for dependence and trust and power. Lord, i got a bunch of teens I'm getting ready to face. i got, I got to go, sing a special. I've got to do this. Are, are, are we begging Him for His hand upon us? Because the Lord promises us that the person who sets his life before God, before His face, like the showbread, you will be given the bread of life. He'll give it to you. There's going to be sustenance for you. Your spiritual hunger will be met and, 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 and you will be given the help that you need to minister to others. God will give you the words to speak. He'll give you the things to say. He'll give you the ability to do what you need to do. Because Jesus said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they what? Shall be filled. Repetition is the key to retention. Practice makes perfect. That might be true and wonderful in the world in which we live, but folks, let's not allow the repetition of our service become the master of our ministry. Let's make certain that our face is continually before the Lord saying, Lord, I, I want to serve. I can't. I don't, I don't have this. I know that I've been doing this for 30 years. I know I've been doing this. I, I, I do this every time. You know, I can do it in my sleep. But Lord, I don't want to allow myself to rely upon what I'm able to do, but only what you can do. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence tonight. And Lord, I just ask that you would... Continue to have your hand upon us as we strive to serve you. And Lord, you've blessed us with spiritual gifts, and we have the ability to minister about holy things. And Lord, we don't, no one sets out, Father, and says, I've, I can do this on my own. I don't need your hand upon me. I've done this before, and I can do it again. Lord, no one sets out and says that, for goodness sakes. But Lord, by our lack of prayer time, our lack of Bible reading, and our lack of dependence upon you, oftentimes we find ourselves in that direction without even really realizing it. <clears throat> so Father, forgive us. Help us to spend some time back at the laver and confess our sins before You and, and express our utter desire and our need, Father, to have our lives before Your face. Let our lives be like that showbread that we place upon that altar and saying, Lord, I need Your good hand upon me. I need Your presence. I need Your power, Your direction, Your guidance, Your sustenance. Lord, I can't do what you're asking me to do on my own. And maybe there's some here tonight and there's not an active ministry that you're involved with. I'm just telling you, would you, Lord, would they come and just seek your face and say, Lord, what could we do? What could we be involved with? Lord, how could we, how could we serve according to your grace and according to your strength? Maybe, again, there's someone tonight that doesn't know you as their personal Savior. Lord, help, I pray that they would not leave this facility, Father, without receiving the forgiveness of sins. Maybe there's others that need a good church home or baptism. Father, just however you, got, however you lead, Father, just help us to make certain that our walk with you is where it needs to be. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. And others have already come.
Maybe you just need to come and say, Lord, I've been doing a lot of things on my own lately. I've been even doing my job at work. I've been trying to parent on my own. I've been trying to do my finances on my own. I've been trying to do this and trying to do that. And let me just ask you, how's it going for you? It's not going very well. So in every aspect of our life, family, marriage, children, citizen, you name it, is your face, is your life before God's face in His presence. As, we, as the pianist plays, if you need to come, why don't you come, Brother Marshall. They need to come. There's time. There's room. Step into God's presence. Kneel before Him. Without Him, we can do nothing of any spiritual value. We can go through the motions. We can do the job. But only he can do what needs to be done spiritually. Whatever God would have you to do, would you come? Plenty of time. Plenty of room. Thank you for being in the services today with us at Riverside Baptist Church. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we certainly would like to help you with that. You can get more information at our website at rbcstjoe.com or call here at the church. If you're a believer and God has spoken to your heart, I hope you'll take time to turn aside and let him have his way in your life. If we can help in any way, shape, or form, please feel free to contact us. We look forward to ministering to you again.